This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Job 40. We have a great blessing that Job did not have. We have all of the scriptures. And because we have the scriptures, we know the reality of what Paul said. The fact that the Lord does take care of us and he proved it by giving us his only begotten son. And the scripture says that the Lord along with him will freely give us all things that we need. And so we have the benefit, Job could look at nature God's going to remind him of that to teach him about his God. You and I, as the men just sang, can face the cross and be convinced our God cares for us. And he'll meet every need because he met our greatest need. So we're in Job 40 this morning where God continues to confront Job for calling into question his care for his servant. Job had actually questioned, and the Lord did take it as a confrontation. Job had questioned whether God was actually being righteous towards him. Was God fulfilling his obligations to Job? And so the Lord asked Job many questions about nature. That's chapters 38 and 39 that puts the greatness of God in perspective. What Job had said to his companions called God's care into question. Your fallen flesh, my fallen flesh, defaults to that very quickly. The only way we're going to keep from following into that temptation to question God's goodness is to have our minds be renewed with the very truths that the Holy Spirit gave us in this book to counteract that. So Job has come to acknowledge God's infinite wisdom that controls the universe, that has never stopped caring for Job. The next section in the book of Job is God completing his work, the work that needed to be done in Job's heart. None of God's words here are redundant or unnecessary. If you're just reading through these passages in your devotions, you can read and read and and be tempted to think, modern vernacular, this is overkill. Lord, he's, he's gotten the point. God knows exactly what needs to happen here. And he is going to continue to say exactly what Job needs for Job to get a full understanding of the truth that God has for him. And so, God in his divine strategy begins to ask Job about two of the mightiest creatures he ever created. Behemoth and Leviathan. Today we need to see that there are two parts of what God is showing Job now as he looks at these massive creatures with Job. First of all, these massive beasts, whatever they are, and we're going to seek to give you some information about who they are in a moment, 
But whatever they are, these massive beasts were created by God just like Job. You're in chapter 40, look at verse 15. Behold now behemoth, which I made with thee. He's created too. He eateth grass as an ox. And so they were created by God just like Job was. Secondly, these beasts are, as Leighton Talbert states, quote, impressive marvels of biological engineering. And man is a scrawny weakling by comparison. Now, that's true. I personally believe that when the Lord renews the earth, he's going to bring out the dinosaurs that are already here. Now, it's sanctified speculation. That's Asher speaking. But I believe that on this planet there are dinosaurs, and God said, all right, if you're going to explain all that away with the foolishness you call evolution, I'm just not going to show them to you. But when he's reigning on earth and he renews the earth, I think all those creatures are going to be back. And so, is man weak in comparison? Look at chapter 40 and note verse 19. He is the chief of the ways of God, behemoth. He that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. Now, what is the Lord saying here? Only he that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. In other words, God is saying, Job, you have called into question my ability to take care of you. Compare yourself with the greatest earthly beasts that live nearby. God would not have brought these beasts to Job's memory if Job did not know these beasts. Which again helps us understand that these creatures were around at Job's time. Listen, post-flood, after Noah's time, uh, in this text, the Jordan River is mentioned. Uh, we believe that Job at least spent some of his time near the Jordan. He knew this area. They were there. But then this great water creature that we're going to see, Leviathan, that Job had a working understanding of that creature as well. So Job needs to consider this evidence of God's greatness as well. So I've entitled the message today, More Evidence of God's Greatness. If you want to change the title, feel free. It should probably be More Evidence of God's Completeness. He's great, but the deists used to say that he created everything and then he, he's disinterested. He, it's just a, kind of spinning out there on its own. That's not the God of the Bible. And so what God is going to show Job is his, more of his greatness, his completeness. Let's look then at beast number one. Consider behemoth as God asked Job to consider this creature. Again, verses 15 to 24. Now many suggestions have been offered about what this beast is. If we take scripture literally, though, the massive size and power of this creature brings us to the conclusion that it is a dinosaur. And with the characteristics that are mentioned, Bible scholars, those, again, who are literalists with the text, uh, many of them concur it's probably the brontosaurus. All right? 
There it is. Moms, how'd you like to send your kids out to play? And just say, now, now, kids, be careful. If he comes by, come in the house. Let's let him pass, and you can go back out and play. All right? The description is verses 15 to 24. Let's look at those verses now. Behold now, behemoth, which I made with thee. He eateth grass as an ox. Now, that's a blessing. He's not a man-eater. Okay. All right? He's vegetarian. 16. Lo, now, his strength is in his loins, and his force is in the navel of his belly. In other words, where his navel is, and and it's a comparison with man here, that's the center of his force. That's the idea. His hips, his stomach muscles are the central location of his power. Now, this rules out the elephant, water buffalo. And all the other things that that people say, well, this had to refer to this beast. All right? No, behemoth. Verse 17, he moves his tail like a cedar. That's how we know it's not an elephant. All right? The sinews of his stones, his thighs, are wrapped together. right? Tight, strong muscle. His bones are as strong pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. You get the point? He is the chief of the ways of God. We've already looked at this. Only, again, he that made him can make uh, uh, his sword to approach unto him. In other words, of all the creatures that are out there that could do battle with this guy, pull a sword... Only the Creator could take him on. Surely the mountains bring him forth food. Again, talking about God's provision. Where all the beasts of the field play. He lieth under the shady trees. The Hebrew here is the lotus tree. In the cover of the reed and fens or the shelter of the reeds and the marsh. The shady trees cover him with their shadow. The willows of the brook compass him about. Behold, he drinks up a river and hastens not. He's not scared. Again, the Jordan comes into play here. We know even from the times when the Israel was uh, getting ready to go into the promised land, the Jordan was a mighty river. When it overflowed its banks, there were places where that river was two miles wide. So you can imagine all this water rushing down, and yet he just drinks it up. He just lays in it, and he's not scared. He trusts that he can draw up Jordan into his mouth. It's like it's his drinking fountain. He taketh it with his eyes. In other words, the rushing waters come at his eyes without any hurt. His nose pierces through snares. Also, men have tried to capture him. They may devise ways to trap and impale him. But all of these things are useless. So this land dinosaur, a massive monster to a mere human, is under the complete control of the God who created him. There is no doubt in my mind that Job had taken time to study this creature. He may have had a close encounter with 
this creature. But Job had no reason to doubt his God who made and sustained such a creature. God was also taking care of Job. I wish that as I'm preaching this today that we had actually seen this object lessons ourselves. I think it would have had uh, perhaps more of an effect. But you get the point. Now let's talk about the second beast. Consider Leviathan. This is 34 verses in chapter 41. Now from the lengthy description, we come to realize that this is a dinosaur of the sea. We'll have to wait to heaven, wait till we get to heaven to see if there really was a Loch Ness monster. Okay? But we do know from the seas, from antiquity, uh, that these creatures have existed. They have found the skeletal remains. All right. So, how'd you like to go to the outer banks and have this perhaps swimming around in there? But Job was aware of this creature, and so God takes 34 verses to remind Job of what he knows of Leviathan. Compared to only 10 verses to describe behemoth. So God's questions to Job about Leviathan again reduce Job to the finite creature he is. But these also exalt God to infinite, the infinite being he has always been. We won't read the whole text, but verses 1 and 1 to 7 make the point with a conclusion of verse 8. So look at verse 1 now, chapter 41. Canst thou draw out Leviathan with a hook? I know we have some fishermen and women here. All right? Again, imagine throwing a hook in the water trying to catch this guy. But that's the Lord's point. Or his tongue with a cord which thou let down. Canst thou put a hook into his nose or bore his jaw through with a thorn? Will he make many supplications unto thee? Now this is, this is comical. But this has to be so effective in penetrating Job's heart. What the Lord is saying, can you work on this guy, this creature, to make him beg for your mercy? That would probably be the other way around. Will he speak soft words unto thee? Will he make a covenant with thee? Will he promise to serve you? Okay, all right, be nice and I'll serve. No, none of that. Wilt thou take him for a servant forever? Now, why would the Lord ask that question? Because he is eternal and all of his creation serves him for as long as God wants his creation to serve him. Wilt thou play with him as with a bird? He's not at the pet store. Or wilt thou bind him for thy maidens? You dads, you have a little girl. Well, she wants a pet. Okay. I know one that will make life interesting for you. It's not going to be him. Not even a baby one of him. All right. Can you put a leash on him so that your maidens can lead him around? (laughs) Shall the companions make a banquet of him? 
There's some nice steaks on that guy. But your companion is going to make a banquet of him. Shall they part him among the merchants? And the idea is for food. Canst thou fill his skin with barbed irons or his head with fish spears? Now these are all rhetorical questions with this summary thought. Now look at verse 8. Lay thine hand upon him, remember the battle, do no more. Don't try that again. Okay, so some arrogant somebody goes out, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm going to get me one of those. Yeah, you do, you'll remember the battle. If you survive the battle, you're not probably going to try it again. Now, what is the point that God is making? Well, he tells us clearly in verse 10, look at it. None is so fierce that dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand before me? Listen, if I can create that, and you are no match. In fact, an army is no match. If if I can do that, who then is able to stand before me? And yet, Job, you brought me into question. No one in his right mind would pick a fight with a Leviathan. Who then would dare to challenge the Almighty who created this sea creature and sustains him? The answer should be obvious, but here is the answer we all know. We dare to do it. Have you ever faced circumstances? We've we've had this discussion before. Something happens. You've got to get somewhere. And all of a sudden, the car just quits. Now, we're we're a little more sophisticated. And and by the way, Job was sophisticated. He didn't just come right out and question God. He was sophisticated about it. But but he was confronting God. And as we said last time, the car can quit, and it's just looking to heaven with this expression. Really? Now? Now, you all, I just want to compliment you. You all look very pious this morning. But we all know what we are tempted to do when things don't go just like we want them to. And then we'll try to get sympathy from somebody. Oh, you don't know the week I've had. How you doing? Oh, yeah, you really don't want to know the week I've had. Have you talked to God? In fact, do you go to his word and do you look at how great the Almighty is and that he has never failed you and he can't? He just can't. And he won't. Now, with this further evidence of God's greatness, God's completeness, God makes a final point in his discussion about Leviathan. And we're going to just get through verse 11 and then we're done. But look at 41 verse 11. Who hath prevented me that I should repay him? Now watch this. 
Whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. Now let's break this down. And again, th this is our point. This is the point that God is making to me. It's, it's the point he's making to you. And, and I just want you to hear his compassion in it, but listen to the emphasis in it. Here's what God's saying to Job. Job, you haven't done anything to deserve what has happened to you. I know that. But you also haven't done anything to deserve what you had that you lost. Now follow with me. In fact, early on, before Job's heart became accusatory, he said as much. Naked came I into this world. Naked I'm going out. And what was his conclusion? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And then how did he follow that up? Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, that's the point. He was there, but then he got way over here. God's bringing him back to here. All right? So, yeah, Job didn't deserve to lose his things, but Job never deserved to have those things. And that's where we live. What do you have that you have not been given by God? And so if he gives them and he chooses to take them, we just need to bless the Lord because he is up to something good for us. Do you realize you have given God nothing that obligates him to repay you? That's what verse 11 says. What have you given God that obligates him to give you stuff? Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Therefore, I want to leave you with these words this morning. Since he gave without cause, he can take without cause because you and the whole universe are his. It is this truth and our understanding of it that our trials will test. I think every Christian here would say amen to that, those statements. But when trials come, your understanding of that truth will be put to the test. And either you'll embrace that truth and continue to praise God, or you'll accuse and withdraw And again, there are Christians who once were on fire for the Lord, loved the Lord, served the Lord. But today, well, they're, and again, they're professional. Uh, they're smart about how they communicate it. Well, I, we've just got things going on. And, you know, we, no, it, it may be that in your heart you're bitter against God. You're bitter about the circumstances. God could have prevented this. He wasn't fair to me, and you're not saying any of that. But that's what's coming out of the well of your heart. The reality is you have no reason to question God or doubt his goodness to you. 
He's up to something good. But when trials come, that's when the flesh can take over and we, we can just think things that are confrontational to God and, and listen, brothers and sisters, not helpful to us. When we need God the most, our flesh can try to convince us not to go to Him. So God, in light of all this, has obligated Himself to His people. We have no reason to ever question His care for us. And so God, with these two creatures, makes His final his final emphasis to his servant Job. And then God's going to stop speaking. Only after he has some final words for Job's friends. And so will you take to heart again this further evidence of God's greatness and God's care for you. Parents, there's no reason by, about whatever your adult children are doing that should cause you to stop serving God. Unemployed friend, there's no reason why your tough circumstances right now, uh, wondering how bills are going to get paid, there is nothing about that that should cause you to question whether God's going to continue to take care of you. Are you in a lengthy health problem, trial right now? Maybe it's something you don't even understand. This just happens to me. I can't explain it. I'm embarrassed by it. Or the doctors don't know what it is. That is no reason at all for you to withdraw from your God because He knows and He is working on your behalf. So trust him. Trust him. And go to the book of Job and just read through these things that God said to Job so that the Holy Spirit of God can convince you of the reality God loves you and he will sustain you as he continues to do his perfect work in you. Father, thank you for further evidence of your greatness, your completeness, your faithfulness to man. Lord, I'm so grateful that even as we look at this truth this morning, there are new Christians sitting in our assembly here. Some have only been saved a few weeks. Lord, what a joy it has been for me to be able to explain to them, though there are so many things that can go wrong in this world, their God will take care of them. You're a perfect father. And Lord, you take perfect care of your children. As the Lord Jesus said, these sheep the father has given to me and I'm not going to lose one. Thank you that we're kept in your hand. But Lord, when you saved us, you gave us a new nature, but you didn't give us new flesh and we didn't get a new mind. So we need to renew the mind so that it controls this flesh 
that wants to lash out at you so easily. Lord, we can't understand all your ways, but we can rest in what you tell us, that your ways are good. Your ways are perfect. And so, Lord, if there are any brothers and sisters in Christ here today, where again, through this further evidence, you've reminded them that they they really have disliked what you've done in their lives, what you've allowed in their lives. Lord, would you help them to repent of that? Put their hand on their mouth, yield their hearts to you. And Lord, uh, to repent of that, but then express in faith their love and trust in thee. And Father, for those who are not saved here today, Lord, they're not even in your family yet. By repenting of their sin and putting their faith in Jesus Christ, they can be in your family. You can be their father, and they can know your tender care, though, Lord, you're even faithful, and you provide for the unjust. So draw anyone who's not saved to yourself today as well, we pray. Do your work in these final minutes we have together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.